Have you ever had a loss for words? Have you ever had such a difficult time trying to describe a person or a place or a thing uh, that you just can't do it justice? I don't believe that there has been another time in history where we know so much, we can access so much information, or we can articulate so much about the world around us. But yet we have difficulty describing things of faith. There are things about faith which are misunderstood. Sometimes they're misrepresented. Sometimes it's due to a lack of understanding. Sometimes it's due to a lack of any attempt to be accurate. For instance, how for decades, how media has portrayed the Lord. We see inaccuracies everywhere. When I have conversations about the Lord, I point persons to the book of Psalms. There's no better place to get an accurate character description of God. Now, if you want to see God made flesh, you go to the Gospels. You want to see the heart of God made flesh interacting with man. We see Jesus in the Gospels. But to see the heart of God for His people, to see where we can have hope in a hard time, we go to the book of Psalms. And this morning we'll be in Psalm 31, and we will read, we will read the words of David. David begins, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord God of truth. I I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. We don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm. David was a mighty warrior. He was a shepherd boy who was ordained to be king. And David knew heartache as a young man. David had to leave his home and he was on the run from jealous, wicked King Saul. And later on, after David had had become king, during David's reign in Israel, David would know heartache as one who would seduce someone's wife and have her husband murdered. A husband who had been a loyal soldier and supporter of David. David would would know heartache as the father of a son who would end up betraying him. David would nearly lose the kingdom to his son Absalom. David knew grief. And like us, sometimes David brought it upon himself. And like us, sometimes things happen which are outside of one's control. But here... David presents himself as a a man on the run. David knew grief, but David also knew who God was. It's David's view and understanding of God which helps us see the Lord, not as some in our society would see Him as only judge and jury and executioner, 
But it's David's understanding which helps us see the Lord as comforter. Listen to how David describes the Lord. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. You are my rock and my fortress. You are my strength. Who is God? What does God do? We know God only because of His mighty acts. The way God has, has interacted with man since the beginning, and we have a record of that, which we call the Bible, that's how we know God. And like David, we can understand God as a comforter. So how does David respond? He says, I have taken refuge in you, O Lord. Deliver me in your righteousness. Don't let me ever be ashamed. Bend your ear to me. Listen to me. You be to me a rock of strength. For your name's sake. That means for the purpose of your glory. In these first six verses, we see deliverance, we see refuge that comes only from the Lord. We see David plead with the Lord for a bending low, like like a child would his parent. (laughs) Bend down here and listen to me. We see a trust in the Lord to provide direction and guidance. Have you ever prayed in some way similar to David? I sure have. Look at verse 7. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul. And you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. Look there at verse 8. You have set my feet in a large place. David says, what am I going to do? I'm going to praise you. Why? For what you've already done. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness. That means faithfulness, loyalty. Loyalty to, to your children, God. Your faithfulness, your loyalty to me. Why? Because you have seen my affliction. You, O Lord, have known the troubles of my soul. David remembered the time before he was king when his enemies, the Philistines, had him cornered in a place called Gath. And David wrote in Psalm 56, he he wrote, You have taken account of my miseries. You've put my tears in your bottle. You have, you have put my tears in your bottle. You have taken account of them, Lord. Do you know that he's done that for you too? He's taken account of every one of your tears. Years later, David can say... Lord, you see and you know all about me. And you have not handed me over to my enemies. Lord, you've not betrayed me. David wrote of an earlier encounter when he was pursued by wicked King Saul. In in Psalm 18, David proclaims what he says here in verse 8. The Lord brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. This picture 
of being set in a large place. This large place, it's expansive, it's not, it's not hemmed in, it's solid ground. This past week, we went up to Blacksburg to support my son Clark at his cross-country regional. And from where we were watching the race, from that vantage point, one can see literally for miles all around that part of the New River Valley. Beautiful area, beautiful time of the year, springtime, red buds, my favorite. And it was a large place. (laughs) And here's what else. It, It allowed me to see all around the area 360 degrees, like I said, for miles. And I had a different perspective than if I just sat in the van. You know, sometimes we, we have to take a breather. If, if we can, we need to hit pause on some things. In terms of our perspective, we, we have to allow the Lord to refresh our perspective, to, to widen our gaze. And if you think about it, like David, God has been faithful to you just as he has been faithful to David. So we have to think of our perspective. If God's been faithful, if he's done it before, you know what? He'll do it again. He'll do it again. Look at verse 9. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief. My soul and my, my body also. My life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength is failed because of my iniquity, my sin, and my body has wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, and especially to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. What's going on? Well, earlier, David was a man on the run. Here, he's a man alone. He's surrounded by terror. But he feels all alone. Look at verse 11. Because of of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, a, a disappointment. David's son, Absalom, wanted to steal the kingdom from David. And Absalom would eventually lead a a tragic, ill-fated revolt against his father, King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, we, we see the beginnings of David's sorrows with his son. 2 Samuel 15 begins this way. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the road to the gate of the kingdom. And when any man who had a lawsuit was to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would meet him first. He would call out to the man and would say, From what city are you? And the man would say, From one of the tribes of Israel. And then Absalom very connivingly would say, See, your claims are good and right, but you have no one to listen to you on the part of the king. And then Absalom would say, Oh, that someone would appoint me judge in the land. Then every man who has a lawsuit or claim could come to me 
and I would give him justice. And whenever a man approached to, to bow before Absalom, Absalom would put out his hand and take hold of him and embrace the man. Absalom dealt this way with all Israel. All of those who would come to the king for judgment, Absalom would, would, would be the bump in the road, would meet them first. And we see that Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. How bad was it for David? It was bad. And David says, I have become a disappointment, a reproach, especially to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those, those who see me in the street, they, they flee from me. David's neighbors are disappointed. Have you ever disappointed anyone? I have. I do. David has acquaintances who no longer wish to be associated with him. They, they've cut their ties with him. We've seen David's situation. It's not good. He's, he's nearly grieved himself to death. He, his strength has failed. His body's wasted away. He feels forgotten. He's a broken vessel. Have you ever felt that way? I have. But even as David stops and, and he ponders the fix he's in, he, he doesn't just end there. He doesn't wallow in his bad fortune and, and give up. What does David do? He remembers he's not alone. He, he, goes, he goes to the Lord. He goes to the Lord. Look there at 14. But as for me, David can't speak for anyone else. As for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Lord, because of who you are and, and what you've done, I trust in your sovereignty. My times are in your hand. And that picture, if, if we stop and we ponder for just a moment, think of the trust and the control that we would be giving to the Lord if we were to say, all my time, all my, all my well, all my everything is in your hands. David says, I ask you for deliverance from persecution from my enemies. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness and your faithfulness. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol, the grave. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. Make your face shine. There's that blessing from, from Moses there in, in the book of Numbers. Because of your loving kindness, your loyalty to your children, save me. Let the wicked be put to shame, not me. Let the arrogant liars in their lips be silenced. And David says in verse 19, How great is your goodness! which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you've wrought for those who, who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. How is God described here? Lord, how great you are. 
your goodness stored up is ready for all of us who fear you, who respect you, all of us who take refuge in you. You can hide all of us who fear you. Isn't that interesting language? The Lord hides us in himself. That secret place of his presence. A shelter from from storm and from stress, from strife. The strife of tongues. There's a lot which we could say about strife. And strife of the tongue, isn't there? There's a lot we could say. And because of the greatness of God. Look there at verse 21. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, for He has made marvelous His loving kindness to me in a besieged city. As for me, listen to how David panics. As for me, I set in my alarm. I'm cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard my voice when I cried to you. David says, I will bless you for what you've done, even in my panic. David worships the Lord He remembers the Lord's faithfulness. God sees and hears His children in the besieged city. These verses from Psalm 121. The Lord will not allow your foot to slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Behold, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 22, look at that. As for me, David says, In my alarm I'm cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, Lord, you heard my voice when I cried to you. David was panicking, but the Lord heard his cries. And in the same way, in the exact same way, even as we panic, God's Word shows us a picture of a of a holy comforter who blows our fears and panic away. There's this age-old tension between what we know about God from His Word versus how we feel. What we know, what we've read, what we understand about God because of what God's Word has told us versus how we feel. We're like David. We're human. We fail, we we fall, we hurt, we panic, we feel alone. But what do we see about God in His Word? What do we understand about God from His Word? There's a famous quote. I didn't know who wrote it. I had to to Google it to find it. But there's a pastor named Victor Edmund. And the quote goes like this. Don't question in the dark what God showed you in the light. In the dark night of your soul, when you get up and you wake up afraid, don't base how you see God on how you feel. Think about what you have read about God in His Word. What you know, the truth of God you know to be because of what you've seen in His Word. Don't rely on your emotions. Remember remember what you've read. Remember what you've read. Verse 23. David says, O love the Lord, 
all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and recompenses fully the proud doer. Lord, because of who you are and what you've done, this is what I'm going to do. David, David's going to tell the world about it. And in David's proclamation, David says something interesting about what God does. The Lord preserves the faithful and he fully recompenses the proud doer. David has reminded us that God sees and hears all. Yikes. Yikes. Everything, everything of which we're a part. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) But if God sees and knows all anyway, do we trust God in, in essence to handle all of that? You know, kind of like we, we, when we said our times are in your hands a few verses ago? Do we trust in the sovereignty of God? Paul tells us in Romans 12, he says, Never repay evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. And then Paul says this in Romans 12, verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. A good friend of mine, a colleague, a former colleague of mine who's a youth minister here in the Valley, Rick, he, he quotes Paul in a different way. He, he gives it this summary. God keeps the scorecard. God keeps the scorecard. Do we trust him to keep the scorecard? Final verse this morning, verse 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. The Lord will strengthen the heart. Take courage. There's a Bible teacher named Derek Kidner. And, and Kidner had this to say about David's words in this psalm. This psalm does not promise an end to trouble. Do you remember Jesus tells us that each day has trouble of its own? This does not promise an end to trouble, but rather the strength to meet it. Remembering really the one who gives us the strength to meet the trouble of our day or our night. We just sang that great line in worship. That great verse of that song, that stanza that says, Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. So, so a question about all that we've read. If the Lord will do all of this for David, will he, will he do it for you and me? Absolutely. He'll do the very same for us. Matter of fact, look at what the Lord has already done for you and me. Back in verse 5, we read these words. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. We've seen this before. In, In Luke chapter 23, as he was being crucified, Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I I entrust my spirit to you. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. And he entrusted himself to the Father through the cross. 
in order to ransom us, in, in order to rescue us back from the reality of hell, the ultimate penalty for, for our sins. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In order to have a relationship of peace with God. Jesus, not just our hope in a hard time, but the reality of our future. Is Jesus your hope today?